You're listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope, where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. We're thankful for your love, Father. You would uh, join me in Galatians chapter 5 if you have a Bible. I'll give you just a moment if you have a, want to open up a Bible and read in this moment of worship the Word of the Lord. It'll also come up on our screen if you want to just look up there. be fine. Galatians 5. Galatians is a uh, letter written in what we call our New Testament, uh, written to some early Christians who were... Uh, trying to figure out how to be Gentiles and follow this Jewish Lord and uh, a lot of correction in this letter a lot of direction in this letter um, written to some very early Christians who are just trying to grow in their faith the same way we are so it's very applicable for us today some 2,000 years later Galatians verse uh, chapter 5 verse 19 says when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear sexual immorality impurity lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. May the Lord direct our steps as we apply his word to our lives. You may be seated this morning. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for this, this week. Um, finding your tribe is kind of the, the, the theme for the morning. Finding your group, your people, finding my people. Uh, that's, that's kind of our idea. And I was thinking back uh, over my life and how I uh, found uh, common bonds with different groups, going all the way back to junior high. When I was in junior high, the common bonds I had with, with most of the folks that I uh, ended up running with and being friends with was this thing called professional wrestling. When I was in junior high, which I still like professional wrestling, by the way. I'll be watching it later on this evening. There's a show coming on. I'll be watching with my boys. But, I, w- but back then, it was totally different than it is now. There was, you knew who the good guys were, and you knew who the bad guys were, and they didn't cuss each other out, they just fought about it. And the good guys are going to win in the end. You always knew that. And so, well, and I didn't grow up with this WWE stuff like they have now. I grew up with called Mid-South Wrestling. And the hero was the Junkyard Dog. And the hero was Mr. Wrestling 2. And the villains was Mr. The, 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 the head rat, Ted DiBiase, and Ernie the Big Cat Lad. Uh, these, are the, these are the villains. Kamala. These were the bad guys. And you knew who was who. So, so in junior high, all us boys and one or two girls were into wrestling. And so that's how we found our tribe. We just all gravitated to this. We, we did pretend matches at school. We got in trouble for wrestling on the playground. Uh, then I went on to high school, and it was like a whole different world. In high school, I found my tribe through music, not playing music because I don't play any instruments and I don't really sing, but through the kind of music you listen to. 
because I didn't listen to pop music. I listened to stuff that was kind of uh, alternative to pop music. And, and, and I, not a lot of people listened to the kind of music that I liked. And then I found a group of friends in high school because we all kind of listened to that same kind of music. Um, so you got all kinds of names thrown at you when you listen to that kind of music. I'll not repeat those today. But, but that was kind of how I found my group. My tribe in high school was through the kind of music that I, that I liked and I listened to. Then I moved on and got into college. Now, my college careers, most of y'all, know because we had conversations about this was kind of on again off again on again off again finally got myself right and listened to God and got my degree finally but when I first went into college I kind of found my tribe and my crew through the theater the acting theater I was I was got into acting and drama and those people who were part of the drama department we all just began to be like a tribe or or our family family's common ground is what we found so so as we think about finding your tribe or your your people um, what kind of what kind of things do you find common ground on you guys help me I got a small group here so everybody's gonna have to help me out yes sir video games, video games. all right you find your group you find your tribe through video games that's that's one for sure what else Dancing. Okay. Good, good. What else? Sports. Somebody I heard another one too. Studying. studying. Okay, you can feel like a study group. Just study some of the same. Good. What else? Yes, sir. Mutual taste in music. So that's still one, right? Mutual taste in music. By the way, Mr. Tariq, happy birthday. Today's his birthday today, so glad you. I don't do that all the time because I don't always know when somebody's birthday is. But I've seen it advertised like three times on different social medias I follow, not by him, by other people. It's like happy birthday, Tariq. Good, good. Anything else? Any other thing we find common ground with people on that we can that we find form bonds with? Well, I'm gonna go ahead and give it church. There you go. I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus. That's where we can find some common ground, okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll go there. So we're continuing this. This is part three of our little series we've been doing called Adulting. And um, we're looking at how, we're basically, how, here's how we're defining adulting. Practical adulthood rooted in a relationship with God. Now, a lot of folks would say that adulting have all kinds of different relationships. But for the sake of what we're doing, what we want to accomplish, we're seeing adulting as practical steps, practical things you can apply to your life as you're in adulthood that are rooted in a relationship with God. So we want to have this practical application, but we want to start with acknowledging that a relationship with God is where adulthood takes place healthy adulthood that's where that takes place so god provides the tools for us to become healthy functioning adults and as we read this passage in galatians and this is what we're going to do with the next few moments is we're going to dig a little deeper into this little passage from this ancient letter and we're going to find this is where some of these tools are that help us become healthy functioning people help healthy and functioning adults now studies show and this is this isn't you know, st- stuff that I read in the Bible. These are studies of what's happening today. Studies show that young adults today are the most connected generation in history. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. I think as a whole, our, our whole society is more connected than ever in history. Young adults today are more connected than young adults any other time in history than any other generation. And the studies also show that this generation, young adults, of which there's quite a few that have joined us here this morning, happen to be among the loneliest generation ever, like the most, feel, feel the most disconnected. They're the most connected generation, yet feel a 
lot of the times the most disconnected, the most disconnect happening. And I don't, I don't know how you, how you guys specifically feel about that, but that's what I'm reading. As I'm you know, like, the more connected we are through social media and the World Wide Web and the internet, internet, the more lonely people are feeling, the more depression people are feeling, the more anxiety that we're feeling going through this. And so we want to look at being connected is important. But here's our big idea. Relationships that last are built less on being connected and more on being Christ-like. Relationships that last are built less on being connected, although being connected is an important thing, but more on being Christ-like. That's the most important factor in our relationships, to have relationships that are built to last. I think most of us want to have friendships. We want to have uh, relationships. We want to have a brotherhood or a sisterhood, or we want to have eventually a spouse that is going to be healthy, right? We want those relationships to be healthy. So this is important for us today. So we begin with friendship, with friends. And friends, true friends, are, are kind of defined as this, that the family you choose. That's our first kind of thing we want to camp out in for just a few minutes. Friends, true friends, are the family that you choose. You ever heard this phrase, you get to choose your friends, but you don't get to choose your family? Yeah, and it's true, right? Like, like family can be great, but family can also sometimes be not so great. I mean, you, when family all gets together, for us it's Thanksgiving, you might have family reunions and stuff. Everybody's there, right? And they're your family. You belong together. Even that cousin you have looks like he stepped off Duck Dynasty. I got that cousin. <laughs> you know, it's like he looked just like he stepped off a of Duck, Duck Dynasty. That's still they, you belong together. Your your uncle who tear, tells those those. You have you know what dad jokes are? Uncle jokes are worse than dad jokes. He's always got the jokes, and, and nobody really thinks it's funny, but everybody laughs because well, that's what uncle does. And you belong together, so that's family. Is, is those folks you belong to? You love them anyway because you're family. True friendships are those folks that you get to choose to bring into your life. They come into your life and you get to have that kind of relationship where it's like sometimes it's really great and sometimes, well, sometimes it's not as great, but you love them anyway because you've seen, you've come to see them as family. You ever had a friend who's like family, like a brother who's like a, yeah. What does it look like? I mean, when you have a friendship who's a family, like what kind of things do you do together? How, how does a friend, how does friendship look like family? Yes, sir. You go to church together. <laughs> Got that one. Good. What else? You know what they need before they can ask you for it. That's a good one. Sometimes, many times you'll know what they need before they ask. Like a true friend. Like, and a lot of it too has, has to do with how you're wired too. Because some of us, like, like me, sometimes you just got to hit me with it. Like, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes when you're in tune with God, though, sometimes God will open that up to you and go, your friend needs this because you know them really well and you know God really well. So that's a good one. What else? Right. You're there for them, support them, even when maybe they don't want you to, or maybe they, maybe they don't necessarily agree with your view on something. If they're your, fa- if they're, they're, if they're your true friend, they're there to get that, that true wisdom from you, even if, they don't, even if they don't like it or agree with it, or like you said, they don't want you there. Good. So Galatians says, let's kind of dig in a little bit. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then he gives us this impressive list, right? I mean, this list is, it's impressive. As I was reading this, I was like, wow, he gets everything here. It says, these are the results of following the desires of your sinful nature. This is it. These, these things, these are the results of following the desires of your sinful nature. Another way to say this could be, this is the result of living for yourself. 
living with, with self-directed love, self-focus, selfishness. This is, these are the result of living just for yourself. And they reveal the obvious sin that's in your heart. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and it says wild parties. And if you do like a word search on that, it's not like, you know, just a wild party. It literally means orgy, which that's a whole other topic. But that's, that's literally what he's saying here. And such as these, it goes on. So we begin to see something that is, is interesting here about relationships. That this is, this is about relationships. We look at all of these things that list that when you live for self, these are the things that come out. And these things break and tear up relationships. Choosing to follow the cravings of self-life lead to broken relationships. Choosing to follow the cravings of self-life lead to, lead to broken relationships. So if friends are the family that you choose, then you need to choose selflessly instead of selfishly in order for these friendships to be healthy and to endure. Because that's what we want. We want relationships that are healthy. We want relationships that endure. Friendships that endure share one thing in common, an interest in doing what's best for each other. Relationships, friendships, we're going to take this on. We'll talk about marriage when we wrap it up in a few minutes. But marriage, that endure, share one thing in common, an interest in doing what's best for each other. So this is what family is really supposed to be. I mean, that's really the bottom line. You talk about family. That's how family is supposed to be. So this is how friends become like family. You treat each other as caring family members, even though you're not related. You begin to treat each other with each other's best interest at heart. And friends who are like family, they have permission to speak truth into your life, right? That's, I mean, someone who's a friend who's like family, there's permission that, that's, that's there to speak truth into your life. If you're looking for someone to okay some behaviors or to okay some things about you, you're not really looking for a friend. You're looking for an enabler. You're looking for, you're looking for a fan. You're looking for somebody who's a, see, I don't need any fans of Steve, what I need is a friend who will speak some truth into my life. Not to, not to say, well, that's okay. You know, that's, that's not as bad as what some people might do. You go ahead and do you, Steve. I don't need somebody to do that. There's plenty of people already doing that. All I need is put anything on Facebook and probably get 50 re uh, replies right away. Oh, that's okay, Steve. We all got our thing, Steve. You do you, Steve. What I need is somebody to say, you don't need to put that on Facebook. What you need to do is you need to stop. You need some accountability. That's what I need, and I think that's what we all need. And a true friend is someone who will do that. So there's no perfect formula for this, by the way. But these, these passages from Galatians gives us a good place to start. I mean, we're all human, which means we all have the potential to follow the desires of our sinful nature. We all do. We're all human. We all have potential to do this, which destroys relationship. If you look at that list, like here's this list, this impressive list. Every single thing on that list is about something that destroys healthy relationship. But we all also have freedom to choose. We have freedom to choose where our focus is, and it takes work. Friendship is like, it's like every other relationship. They all take work. All relationships take work. And that's true of a true friendship. That's true in family. 
That's true when you begin to get into more intimate relationships, and especially true when you get into marriage. It takes work, but it's good work. It's work that's worth it. Relationships that last are built less on being connected and more on being Christ-like. And when you're willing to work on yourselves, we find something beautiful takes place. The space between us shrinks with grace. That's something beautiful that takes place. The shape, the space between us shrinks with grace. I have a friend named Michael, or Mike, and um, we were in high school together. So when we first met, I was a junior, he was a sophomore. We met in speech class. And other than being in speech class, we didn't really have anything else in common, well, except our skin color. We were, you know, we, that was it. We had that in common. And we sat next to each other, I think because his last name started with a P and mine with an N, so that's close enough in the alphabet, that in that particular class, we were right beside each other. We look at our lives, back hindsight, you see, well, I, had, I lived with, you know, mom and dad and my brother. We lived in the country. I drove about 15 miles to school to go to high school every day. He lived in town with his mom and his sister. Different worlds. We were different. A lot of things different about our lives. We, my dad's a preacher, right? We're in church, not, not it's on Sunday morning, but Sunday night and Wednesday night. And then the other time, dad says, hey, we're going to church. We were in church all the time. They kind of went to church once in a while. They weren't religious people. They weren't, you know, so, so we had a lot of things that weren't in common. But we talked about music in high school, the music we listened to. And there was a notebook on his desk and he's writing out this, I think he's writing a poem or something. And I wrote poetry at the time quite a bit. And so I was interested and I looked over. He's writing the lyrics to a song. And the song is, and y'all, nobody here know what this is, but it's called Small Town Boy. It's a song that wasn't even popular in the United States. It was popular in Europe. And it was by this group called Bronsky Beat because the guy's name was Bronsky. That's the, that's the guy's name. It was part of the band. And this, the song, he was writing out the lyrics. Well, I knew about this song because I knew about this band because there was an exchange student from Germany named Henrietta. I liked Henrietta. She introduced me to this band. So I was listening to Bronsky Beat. And so I looked down and he's writing out the lyrics of this song. And I said, hey, Small Town Boy, that's a good song. I like that song. He like dropped everything. You know who this is? You know who Bronsky Beat is? Yeah. So we got to became, we, we, that, began, that began our friendship. Well, it turns out this song was about living a homosexual lifestyle. And this song was my friend Michael was actually out in the, and in the 80s, that wasn't very popular. It wasn't as common as today. He was very out. And we became very good friends right away. And so this became one of those things where, like, I was, he was openly gay, and I'm openly like, well, I, I'm not, but if he's my best friend and I don't have a problem with it, could I? I mean, I like this music. Like, you know, I like the same music. And I'm like, well, now I like girls. <laughs> but, but I like this music. But I like it. So it was like one of those. And then you're a teenager. A lot of times you're, you're wrestling with these kind of things. You know, what kind of feeling is this? And we went through this, this whole thing. And then we graduated. I graduated. He graduated. He goes to LSU, begins his college degree. I go to, go to college, drop out. Um, <laughs> then get married. I get married. I'm working full time, trying to figure out, going back to school, trying to get that figured out. And God hits me with that whammy with, I have, a, I, have a, I have a road for you, a journey for you. Are you ready for it? Call me, what we call call to ministry on that, in that, that time. So I call up Michael. We've been, we kept in contact for several years. This is several years after high school. And I call him up and I said, hey, I got to tell you something. It's exciting for us, but it's going to mean I'm not going to get to see you very often because we're leaving Louisiana. We lived in Bossier City. Shelly and I were married about three years at this time. I said, we're going to leave... Bozier City, and we're going to Oklahoma City. 
There's a school there called Mid-America Christian University, and I'm going to go get my degree and become a pastor. Silence on the other end of the phone. I said, you there? He goes, yeah. I was like, so we're moving. And uh, yeah, so I want you to know you're my best friend. You're like a brother to me. He's like, okay. I said, what's wrong? He said, so you hate me now. I was like, no, I don't. He's like, he just couldn't get it in his mind that somebody could go to church and be a, especially be a pastor and not have this anti-mindset toward the lifestyle he was living and still lives. And so we actually, we kind of left this awkward, like, talk to you later and then didn't, didn't talk to each other later for over a decade. I mean, I, you know, in the next couple of years, I called a couple times and left a message and never heard back. So I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, he's going to law school and all that stuff. He's busy. Um, then it just kind of finally hit me. He, he doesn't want to be friends with me. He's, you know, he's afraid of the judgment, I guess. I don't know. And so it just kind of went on. And I kind of like, I, I, you know, missed this, this strong bond. This guy was literally like a brother to me. And 15 years or so later, I get this message on social media. I forget which media it was now, but I get this message. And he was like, hey, you, hope you're doing well. And I'm like, where you been? <laughs> so we reconnected. And we've been reconnected for about eight years now. Not only reconnected, but strong. Like we talk regularly. And I texted him this week and I'm like, hey, I talked about our relationship before, our friendship before. And I wanted to, you know, and you said, yes, totally awesome. You, that's great. Um, but I wanted to make sure I could do that. I mean, I want to check in with you. I don't want to talk about you, even if I don't use your real name, um, without your permission. He goes, absolutely, you have my consent. You have my permission. He's like, absolutely, I trust you completely. Um, and so we had drifted like really apart as our friends but grace shrunk that distance and now he and his uh life partner i try to use the right words this life partner will come to natchitoches and we will go out to lunch and we will have we will have you know time hanging out together because i love him he's my friend he's like a brother to me he loves me i'm like a brother to him he knows my 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 belief about the lifestyle he's living and I know he's living it. And yet we still spend time together as close friends. I think that's God because God is the one that shrinks the space between us with grace. It's his grace that does it. Have you ever experienced a bond with someone that's this, like, like you didn't have much in common with? I mean, when I, had, when I think about my friend Michael, it's like what I had in common with, I liked the kind of music that that he liked that was it that was all we had in common and yet we have this strong bond here so our passage from galatians continues it continues with a but but a big one living to please yourself leads to broken relationships and disconnectedness from god but the health the holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control Wow. I mean, he said, if you have the Holy Spirit, this is what your life looks like. You're not trying to anti somebody. You're trying to love them into a relationship with God and let God deal with that. Let God make, see what that looks like. So God's way is actually to make me a great friend. When I think of these, these attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, man, if somebody has the, the fruit of the Spirit, that's a great friend. And if I have those attributes, God's way is to make me into a great friend one who builds others up instead of tearing others down 
So often it's this space between us that causes our conflicts, right? When we think about all the conflicts we have today, a lot of that, the media takes the space between us and tries to make it wider, tries to make us fearful of people that we have space between, the differences between us. The question isn't whether we'll experience conflict, though, is it? Because we're going to experience conflict. But how will we handle the conflict when it happens? That's the real question. The number one predictor of a successful relationship is how well you resolve conflict. That's the number one predictor of a successful relationship. You're talking about a friendship. You're talking about a brotherhood or sisterhood. You're talking about marriage. The number one predictor of successful relationship is how well you resolve conflict. Because the inability to resolve conflict can cost you friends. It can cost you jobs. It cost, it's cost people their marriage. It'll cost you your own peace. Your own peace of mind, your own peace in your heart will be the, the cost you pay. So we prefer to avoid conflict, though, right? I mean, I know most of us. There's, there's, every once in a while, I can run across somebody who, they're an instigator. <laughs> like, like, they want to start something. Like, they just like conflict. But most of us like to avoid conflict. And when we say we want avoid conflict, most of the time, I think what we're, we're talking about is we, we want to avoid conflict resolution. I mean, we want to avoid conflict means we, we avoid conflict resolution. But when our lives produce the fruit of the Spirit, we don't have to fear resolving conflict because we're approaching the other person with love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So conflict becomes an opportunity. Conflict becomes an opportunity to extend grace and show love. That's like the opposite of the way our world handles things. It's like conflict is an opportunity to show I'm right. Conflict is an opportunity to put the other person down. Conflict, no. If I've got the Holy Spirit of God leading my steps, conflict is an opportunity to, to, to extend grace and show love. And this grace and this love is the grace and love of Christ. It's not something we manufacture. It's not something Steve's up here going, I got it. I'm saying if I don't have Jesus, I don't got it. It's the space between us, and it begins to shrink with the love of Christ. So the way you handle conflict is one of the greatest opportunities you have to show you're a child of God. If you're in here or if you're, if you're watching online and you're like, well, how, how do I really show people that I'm a Christian? Because I didn't go to church today. I decided to stay home and watch online. I see you. <laughs> how, do I, but how do people know if they're, if they're looking at my life that, I'm a, that I follow Christ? That's it right there. It's how you handle conflict is a, one of the biggest ways you show how you're a child of God. Relationships that, are last, that, that last are built on being connected, or less on being connected and more on being Christ-like. And this is true especially of our most intimate relationships. So in our last few minutes together, we're going to really talk about those most intimate relationships. We're going to look at dating, sex, and marriage, and reclaiming commitment. Because in these areas, in this area of our most intimate relationships, guys, we need to reclaim commitment. I began by dating Shelly with a one-date one thing. I called her uh, after seeing her from a little bit of a distance, talking with her briefly. I worked with her sister, so that's how I really got to know who she was. I called her and said, would you like to go out on a date? She said, yeah. I said, how about to the movie? She said, yeah. I said, what do you want to see? She said, what do you want to see? Uh, or, uh, she said, I don't care. I, I, like, I like all kinds of movies. It's one of those first date things. I just like anything. So I took her to see... Uncle Buck. 
Uncle Buck. That's how. That's when we started. You look. You look up when Uncle Buck came out in the theaters. That's when we had our first date. It was. It was when Uncle Buck just could come out in the theaters. John Candy. He played the 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 the, the ne'er do well uncle who came and kind of made a mess of everything, but it all worked out in the end. And I took her to see Uncle Buck because I got a black belt in romance, and I'm a romance ninja. That's why I think Uncle Buck. So if you want to take guys, if you want to show your lady a romantic movie. Uncle Buck is your movie. <laughs> uh, not really. But anyway, after that date, we, we, we hit it off. Not like romantically, although I thought she was very, very attractive. Um, just just we, we clicked as friends. So I waited a couple of days because her birthday was a few days later. And I called her up and said, I want to call you and say happy birthday and see if I could you know take you out to lunch or something. Uh, so she said, yeah, absolutely. That's great. And so took her out to lunch. And we kind of hung out as friends for a while, for quite a while. And actually, she became and still is my best friend. And, and, and in the process of becoming my best friend, here's the thing. My best friends have always been female. <laughs> and so this was, an, this was different because I was like, this isn't just friendship. I really, I like her. I think I love her. You know, I'm like wrestling with all these feelings. So finally, I'm like, are you, are you my girlfriend? <laughs> are you my girlfriend? She's like, uh, I don't know. Are you my boyfriend? I'm like, I, I want to be. She says, well, okay, I want to be your girlfriend. Okay, great. So we, we did that. We began not just being friends that were going out and eating lunches and watching TV shows and going to movies. We began what's called courtship. Like officially, like we're dating for a reason now, not just to hang out, but there's a reason here. And that reason is to like see if this is going to go where we both kind of feel like it might go. And I said, I love you. She said, okay. And about a month later, she finally said, I love you, too, because um, this was part of the courtship, part of us both getting to know each other. And the thing was, it was it, for us, it was a really long time, but you look back, it was only like six months. We, we, were, we were friends, and then we started courtship. But we, we spent this time get, really getting to know each other, and that was the point, really getting to know each other. Now, what, think about dating today. What are the reasons people date today, guys? Come on. Attraction. Straight up attraction. You're attracted to somebody, let's go on a date. What else? They don't want to be alone. You just don't want to be alone, right? Okay. You don't, want to be, you don't want to be that guy or that girl. Okay. What else? Other reasons people date today. Pressure. Okay. You feel, oh, family pressure. Woo. Lord help me. <laughs> All right. What else? Anybody else? All right, y'all hit y'all hit on y'all hit on a lot of them right there. So when it comes to dating, scripture doesn't really have a lot to say about dating. It's because the concept, the idea of dating that we know of, didn't really exist until about 100 years ago. To be honest with you, I mean the way people met and got married looked a lot different in by different the different cultures that are throughout the Bible than it looks today. A lot different. Um, so so dating's only been around about 100 years. But what we can do and what we need to do. As the, as if we're going to follow Jesus, is take the eternal principles of God and apply them to our dating. Apply them to our sex. Apply them to our marriages um, when they come from, for some of us here today. Whatever our most intimate relationships are, we need, to, we need to find those eternal principles of God and apply them to our lives. So Galatians says, those who belong to Jesus have nailed their sinful nature to His cross. Since we, have, since we are living by the Spirit of God, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. There you go. 
What does the Bible have to say about dating? Follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your lives. What does the Bible have to say about, you know, the sex lives of young people in the 21st century? Follow the leading of the Spirit in every part of your lives. What, is, what does the Bible have to say about marriage and how to find, find the person I'm going to get married to? Follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The goal of dating, to be honest, if we were to be honest, what dating was meant to be is marriage. That's it. To find someone you're going to marry. Dating is to get to know somebody well enough to make this decision. Will this person be somebody that I can marry, that I will marry? The, pr the problem we run into with dating today, though, is that many of us do it without marriage as a goal. I didn't hear that as a goal from anybody, uh, that, that that was the goal. Um, so when the goal is having fun or contentment with, with physical pleasure, an escape or even a coping mechanism or pressure, peer pressure or family pressure, you're always headed the wrong direction. Because the right direction is, is this person... Somebody, that I'm, as I'm getting to know them well enough, that is this a person that I might marry? Is this the person I'm going to marry? It's a goal for a lot of folks to have fun. Dating is just, hey, we're just, we're just having fun. We're just having fun. I've heard that a few times. And sometimes, here's the problem with that. Sometimes you'll have fun and sometimes you won't. That's your goal is to have fun. And sometimes you will, sometimes you won't. All dating relationships will either end in marriage or they will end. And ending a relationship is never fun. That's why dating for fun just doesn't really work. Another thing about dating is the first thing we look for is a physical appearance, right? I mean, that's, I mean, if we're just being honest, that's, that's how our culture is anyway. Um, so if our goal in marriage, uh, if our goal is marriage, then we want to date somebody who would be good at marriage. That would, that would be our, our first thing. Now, I'm not saying everybody's going out looking for somebody ugly, but, but, I'm, but seriously, you want to be attracted to them, but for the right, re but, but for the right things. I mean, not, I mean, here's the thing is with marriages, it's someone, how, how someone looks has almost nothing to do with whether or not they'd make a good spouse. How they look has almost nothing to do with that. For me, I'm like, I don't need a trophy wife. I happen to have a wife that's smoking hot, but I don't need what I need is somebody who will who's got my back going through life. Not just not just to not just to be a like oh look, I my girl, my wife, the red curls, that's her. No, she's got my back going through life and life's got ups and downs and waves come crashing against you and the wind will blow you off the road. I need somebody who's got my back. In those moments, I need somebody who's who's going to go into life's battles with me. That's that's who I need. That's who that's who who I want for for you guys as well to have somebody who's got that for uh, your best interests in my in my heart in their heart too. So the one thing that's guaranteed about uh, that's, that's to fade over time is looks. I mean, it's just guaranteed. That's just that's life. I mean, I hate to bust some bubbles, but but that's part of life. You look at because here's my thing is you look at like your grandparents pictures when they were really young i remember when when uh, my grandparents passed away when they I pulled all the pictures i'm like man mama was hot and papa papa had this but he was it was back in like the 40s and he had like this suit tie had the hatch and i'm like papa had it going on i mean they were he was sharp look at him but by the time i got to see him they were you know wrinkled old gray Fade, uh, looks fade over time. But when you date for looks, it can, you condition yourself to marry for looks. 
And your relationship that's built on looks is set to fade when physical appearances fade. Relationships that are based on physical appearances are, 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 are bound to fade when the appearance fades. So you should be attracted to the person that you're dating, that you're going to marry, but you should be attracted by more than just what the, their physical appearance. So while we're talking about being physically attracted, let's talk about sex. Because for the first time in our history, if we're just going to be honest, for the first time in our history, most people today assume that single people are, have had sex before they get married. That's the assumption. Most people, they just assume that before you get married today, you, you've, had, you've had sex. Today, it's, kinder, it's actually considered countercultural. It's, it's considered weird to talk about it in church, I know. But this is the waking church. We, be, we want to be real. <laughs> it's considered countercultural to get married and not to have already engaged in sex today. But we're not here to be in line with the culture. We want to be Christ-like. And actually, beyond re the religious aspect, Science is showing this now. Scientific studies are showing that people who have sex before marriage are more prone to divorce because sex triggers a chemical in our bodies. And that chemical is a bonding chemical. And, and when that chemical is released with that person that you engage in that activity with, it bonds you to them. So what we have is when we are, that chemical is getting released and we're bonding with more than one person. Our pornographic images, our, our mind and our bodies are being conditioned that this is something that doesn't last. It happens with this person, this person, this person. And our, the, the scientific studies are showing we are, we are our bodies are made for monogamy. They won't even use the word created because some of them don't believe in a creator. But it's like, well, the science is showing that the human being is, should, should be monogamous because of the chemicals that are released and form this bonding agent. Because when you don't, it breaks, it breaks down everything. Within marriage, sex brings life, guilt-free pleasure, and strengthens the connection between a husband and a wife. And God is not against sex. He created it. It's His idea. And there's a thing we find there in that, though. With everything else God created, it's best when it happens according to the way He created it. He, when, it's, when, it, when it happens according to what He created it for, that's when it's best. Outside of marriage, sex conditions us for divorce. We date, we do things married people do, and then we break up. We date, we do things married people do, then we break up. And we're conditioned this. We create a cycle. So when we get married, we get married, we do the things married people do, and it's like, what do you do next? You break up. Relationships are a big part of adulting, and we want to get this right. So the most loving thing you can do for your tribe, for your people, for your, for your spouse or your future spouse is to become the best version of yourself. Verse 26 says, Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. It says, Don't, don't be this way. Your future spouse or your, your spouse, your future spouse, whoever, deserves the best version of you. And that is the you who's becoming more like Jesus. The one who's becoming. And if your spouse is 10 years away, guys, right now, your, your spouse, 10 years from now, deserves you today to be more like Jesus. So what kind of person should I look for? Look for the kind of person that you are becoming. Look for the kind of person you want to become. Look for the fruit of their lives. Look at their commitment. Look at their look at their love, their joy, their peace, their patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So take this next, take it to a next step. 
And again, we get on this topic and I'm like, oh, there's so much more. We, so much digger we could deep. So much more places Jesus would take us with this. But today we're, we're, we're kind of at the end. So let's talk about the next step. So this week, I would, I would encourage you guys this week to take this next step and spend some time in like, like real, we use the word meditation. What I really mean is think long and hard on this. Spend some time in prayer on this. Do I want to become more like Jesus or more like the culture? I mean, don't just answer the question like Sunday morning, Pastor Steve. Oh, I know what I want to tell Pastor Steve. What do you want to do? Do I want to be more like Jesus or do I want to be more like the culture? Think about your current relationships. Is there anything about them that hurts your relationship with Jesus? And so the real takeaway, the real thought, the meditation, the, the real, like, how do I take this next step has been the process. What can you do practically to put Jesus first in all your relationships? And I'm not going to give you a list, but I think you guys can, as you pray about this and meditate on this, pull out your journal, write it down. What can I do practically to put Jesus first in my relationships? Lord, we love you. And we want you to be first in our relationships. And um, Lord, that's, that's across the board. That's, a, that's a, of course, among this church family. That's, that's growing uh, according to your, your time frame and your will. Um, Lord, we want, we, want to, um, we want to honor you with this. But Lord, also with our friendships, with our relationships with our, our family, our parents, our, our siblings, our cousins, our grandparents. Um, Lord, we, we want to honor you in these relationships. With our friends, our, uh, our, if we're in a, a fraternity, ladies who are in sororities, those who are part of clubs and teams, um, Lord, we want to honor you in those relationships. And when we're dating, and we enter into this thing called courtship, and when we, when we get married, Lord, we want to honor you with these relationships. And the way we do that is to invite you, Holy Spirit, to just dwell within us and produce this fruit in our lives. And as you do that, Lord, we know that we're going to have days when we, when we, we kind of step back and live for self again. And we ask God that you would, you would prevent us from that, that you would protect us from that. But when we do, Lord, that you would show, remind us with your grace, Lord, that you would draw us back into yourselves, uh, to yourself, right back on the path. So God, in this time, as we, as we sing and we wrap up our time together today, Lord, keep us mindful that this isn't just about a message or a sermon that's for this moment, but it's about a lifestyle. And we want to become more like you, Jesus, in every moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awakened Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awakened Church at awakenla.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awakened Church LA.